Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're still doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss Ref Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. So, Chris, are we still in baseball season, or did you turn the page and go to football? The hat's on, but it's time to yeah, move on. Oh. The writing's on the wall. Oh, mm-hmm. those Orioles. They were so close. <laughs> yeah, next year. Okay. Are you still uh, looking at an undefeated University of Maryland football team? <laughs> yeah, but the norm there is that'll break down this week, so... Uh, you're worried about Michigan? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I'm assuming know. you guys play them at some point this year. We will. Yeah, yeah. That will be a real test. Any idea if it's at home or on the road? I think it's on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Good luck. Yeah. Well, after uh, this weekend, we should still be 4-0, we being Penn State. Who do you have? Uh, Central Michigan. Yeah, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> you're playing the other guys in Michigan. Yeah. All right. So... Good luck with that, University of Maryland. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, um, I was in a meeting recently with a large retailer, and there was a request to do a podcast on the type of things that could be fixed remotely. Right. So, this will be sort of centered around what you could do remotely, but um, really, these things could be done on site as well. And um, so, that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, these kind of things could prevent a trip to a store or a, a call, that sort of thing. But the idea is, um, what can I fix remotely? So we're going to count these down, David Letterman style, from 10 to 1. And um, if one of us misses a point, the other is going to jump in, and we're going to see what we can do with these. Nice and loose today. That's right. Let's uh, let's get into it with number 10. So um, first thing that we're going to start off with is uh, as we're moving more and more into case controllers, I think you guys may see some, some time to time where a mismatch message will pop up. And that could be when you're just looking at the status screen of the system manager for a case controller, or maybe you've gotten a little deeper and you're in the config screen, but you're going to see something that says mismatch. Um, and you're if you're looking at your status screen, you're probably going to see some temperatures that make zero sense too, yep. which is a good giveaway. Most often when you're going to run into this is if you've just replaced the case controller with a new one and then the firmware might not match, or if you're starting up a store and it wasn't programmed to match what you actually have. Um, and so on this one, in this case, what you need to do is get into the config screen for your evaporators or circuits and on that page, you choose from a drop-down list of different case controller types, and it's based on a couple of things. It's based on the part number, it's based on the, the actual model itself, obviously, but then it can also be based on the application and firmware version that are in the case controller. So those are all things you got to kind of sync up with the choice you're making and what you physically have, and if you don't, then you get the mismatch message. That's a tongue twister. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if you're unsure, then network nodes is your friend in this case, the network node section of the system manager. You can always go in there and that screen should tell you what you actually have. And so if you're unsure, you check that and then you can kind of go back to your, your config screen and set it to, to match that. 
Um, so sometimes it might just be you just don't actually have it set to what you do have. Sometimes that application might come into play, which is what determines what your relays are, and you gotta um, actually change the application type in the case controller to get it to match what you set it to. Uh, I think the important thing to keep in mind here is when you are in that screen and you're changing from one case controller type to another, that it will wipe out all the settings that you got programmed at the system manager level. So if you didn't program your case controller settings already, um, when you make that change, you're going to have to set, set everything back up again as far as your case controller setup goes. So that... That's that part of it. The, the ED3 files, so the, I can't remember if we talked about them in one of our past we shows. We have. Okay. We have, yeah. Oh, there's just so many of these shows now. <laughs> you can't keep them all straight. We're up to 14 now. <laughs> That's right. Pros. That's right. Um, but yeah, there's ED3 files that relate to the case controllers so that the system manager can, can read them the right way and display the data. And so if you don't have them in the system manager, then that can be a part of this as well. Right. Did I miss anything on that one? I think you got it. We got it. Yep. So we're moving on to number nine. Yep. Number nine. Uh, so fixing logging issues in the system managers. Um, so somebody calls in or somebody's looking at a system and they say, what the heck's going on here? I'm on my status screen. I'm looking at my graph and I can't see any history. Um, so it's possible it's a new store where it just the history never was turned on or we see times where the history is in a suspended state and somebody just needs to start it again. Um, so under the configuration in the, the controller, you have your history tab that you want to jump into there and should tell you right on that page what your status of your history is as far as being in a start or, or a collecting mode where it's logging data points um, or if it's in a, a suspended mode where it's not. And so when you get in there, uh, if it's a, a situation where you just don't have any history, then you want to auto configure it, or if you're going to get into some manual configuration, but you need to set it up and then you'll see an option to start history there. If it's just a situation where it's suspended for some reason, then you should see, uh, an option there to click to start the history. If you don't, it may mean your access level is restricting you. And so it's a little... Uh, it, it, not fluky, but it, it's a little, um, yeah, puts you in a situation where and sometimes you can actually configure the history, but you can't necessarily start the logging depending on how the access levels are, are set up. So that may be something that's holding you back is uh, if you aren't seeing the option to start the history collection, it may be your access level that's doing that to you. Right. And if it's working, it should say it's collecting. Correct. Right. And then down below that, you'll see how many points of each type it's actually logging. Um, and then just, it, it's not that, that if you have to start it because it wasn't already logging, you're not going to see anything prior to when you hit that start button. So it's going to be history from that point forward. So if you're logging at a two minute or a 10 minute sample rate, it may take a little bit of time to collect some data before you actually see some things displayed on the status graphs. Yep. On to number eight. Uh, so history, we're kind of sticking with the history theme here. Um, this is more so checking maybe for individual points that aren't being logged in history. So not that you can't see anything anywhere. It's, hey, this case or this rooftop unit isn't showing me anything when I'm on the status screen. 
Um, so you go to that status screen for, for whatever that system is and, and your small graph there at the top right, it probably is going to say not configured and it's obviously just going to be a, a blank graph there with no um, data trending line on it. Uh, so this again is going to be a situation where you want to jump into your history configuration screen. When you're in that screen, you get different tabs for different items as far as relays and case controllers and sensors and whatnot. Um, so it, it could be if it's just as simple as that, it could just be a matter of getting into that screen and enabling the point that you need to add in. Maybe it was a case that was added in after the fact or some other changes have been made um, that are going to say, hey, I got to get back in here and, and enable that sample rate at two minutes or 10 minutes or whatever I want. Um, I, th I think the two cases that are maybe a, a little not so standard for me at least is case controllers and, and rooftop units. So on the case controller side, um, we've talked about having S2, S3, S4 sensors. So when you're in the case controller history screen, you want to make sure it's a U17 thermostat air specifically that you want to enable. That's what the status screen graphs are looking for uh, to display history there. Um, so that's on the case controller side. On the HVAC side, uh, it's a little cryptic too. You would think common sense would say, hey, I turn on my history for my zone temp sensor and it's going to display on my status screen, right? Uh, the reality is you have to go into, uh, there's a other tab and underneath of that, there's an other data points tab. And there's some points in there that are labeled as calculated or calc cool temp one and calc heat temp one. The number is going to change based on which rooftop unit it is. Um, those are actually the points that you have to enable for a rooftop unit for the history status screen graph to appear properly. Right. On a system manager. Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay. Yep. And in the, um, under the other data points, mm -hmm. if you have an HGM leak detector, you should see every zone listed there and you want to turn on the logging for those zones. Most people are pretty good about that, but it's an easy thing to miss. Um, but you want to turn on the logging for each zone so that you can log out PPM levels if you need to. And then um, the tricky thing is uh, back under sensors, there's always two sensors for the HGM there, but there's no point in logging those because it's yeah. just a kind of a cycle that it runs through and it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. And I don't know off the top of my head, the, the calculated cool heat or the HGM points. I can't remember what auto configure catches in that. I'd have to check that. That's a great question. But um yeah, usually it's worth checking. Yeah. Uh, just to make sure those individual points are turned on. Right. Yep. All right. <clears throat> so let's move on to number seven. Number seven is the alarm override option. Now, this would allow you to place an override on an entire rack or the whole controller, and you can do it in hours or minutes. But um, it can be pretty handy. And I think I see some people using this. Uh, if you know you're going to be working on the rack or a certain case, you can override those alarms. Sometimes I will use this if I know I'm going to be working with a lot of points in a short amount of time. And if you punch in the wrong point and maybe a minute goes by, you don't realize it, the controller says, hey, that point doesn't exist, that board doesn't exist, then you'll get an alarm. So sometimes I will go in and punch in an alarm override just for at most an hour and then make my changes and then I'll turn that back off again. Yeah. And um, and it can prevent alarms 
and prevent some other people from getting involved uh, for things that are not a problem any longer. Moving on to number six. So there are times in the controller I've seen where an alarm occurs and an alarm clears, but the light at the top of the controller will still say red. Um, it stays red, or it if you log in remotely, it might be flashing alarm at the top. And when you look, uh, there's nothing in active alarms and nothing in acknowledged alarms. And you're thinking, what's going on here? Um, you know, this thing should be good to go. It should be clear. Um, what I've done is if I can 100% verify that nothing is in alarm, then I will usually go back to the alarm setup and go to service and then just fire off a test alarm. Mm -hmm. And whether or not it's really gonna go anywhere is really doesn't matter, but that usually will be enough uh, to generate a test alarm in the unit. It automatically clears within a minute and then it resets everything. So that's one way to handle that. I probably shouldn't admit it, but I usually just clear the alarm log and that takes care of it too. <laughs> so, oh, Chris, yeah. you're going to get in so much trouble yeah, for this, that. Yeah, we might have to edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and that, it just, yeah. and that, that kind of covers everything going back to the 255, right? I mean, Correct. you're, you're going to see that yep. anywhere. That's right. So, um, that yeah, is just correct. keep that in mind. Yep. All right, so counting down to number five, uh, I have listed as points, meaning um, you can go into the uh, list node screen. You can check for uh, things that shouldn't be there. You can check for duplicates back under the either the communications and I.O. network if you're dealing with the 255 or the network nodes for the other controllers. But, um, but the points list will tell you uh, what's going on. So... If you see nothing under duplicates, that's a good thing. That's what you want. If you look under uh, list nodes, uh, especially when you're troubleshooting, you want to. One thing that you definitely don't want to see is the same board showing a VO and an RO together. Right. Uh, we talked about that one way back in the first episode of this podcast. How. The controller will let you do a VO and an RO on the same board, and it'll say everything is online, but your ROs won't work. I think that was the only stump Chris question I actually got right. <laughs> so, yeah, I can remember that one. <laughs> That's right. You were one for one at that point. <laughs> yeah. So long ago. <laughs> but now this is it's uh, definitely a, a section you want to keep in the back of your head that you can use for troubleshooting. I mean, it gives you all kind of information there, the values, the online, offline. And then the other tabs in that section too, like you said. Yep. So, yeah, it's something you, you should be using quite often when you're troubleshooting. Uh, number four, let's keep rolling. Uh, lighting zones, lighting loads. So um, guys that are looking to override some lights, so maybe you get the, uh, the, the guy that's out testing the parking lot lights, um, or maybe the, the cleaning company came in for some special stuff at night and they need the sales floor lights turned on kind of in a unique situation that's not going to be scheduled at a regular interval. Uh, so if you're in your status screen of a, a lighting zone that you have set up in your controller, you should have a service tab there that you can navigate to um, and, and just pay a little bit of attention when you're in the service tab because you're going to have a, a lighting zone and then you're going to also have a relay that's part of that lighting zone. And, and maybe you do have multiple relays, but most times it's just a one for one. Um, 
but you jump into that section and you want to choose the lighting zone line specifically and you should be able to just kind of double click on that as long as your access allows it and override your lights on for some period of time it can be seconds minutes hours whatever you need whatever you want to do there and the idea is pretty straightforward where after that period of time's expired the lights are just going to go back to whatever the normal setup with the the photo cell and the schedule is telling them to do um so yeah not not too tricky there but it just it's something that's available to do remotely you don't have to manually override the relay and then turn it back off afterwards here you can just kind of do it in one shot and be done with it after right and you can override the zone but not the relay on a timed uh, option exactly okay yep uh number three we've touched on this one a, a little bit, but um, digital compressor fixes, and you could probably even extend this out a little bit to a condenser that has variable speed, depending on exactly how it's set up with the proofs and the faults. Um, but we get into a setup where the digital compressor is locked out, and, and usually on the status screen, you'll specifically either see it saying that it's off or resetting, or, or probably more often for me, I see it saying it's bypassed already on no proof or, or on a fault situation. So the first thing you have to understand is um, all these extra points that we, we know we have to deal with on the digital compressor, the, the relays, the reset, and the bypass relay there. And then on the digital input side, we have a proof and a fault. If there's, how are they set up? Are we using just fake points in the setup that are manually overridden? Or did somebody create some calculations? So you, you may have to dig a couple levels deeper if you're in this, this bypass state to see exactly what's going on. If it's virtual points, normally we just want to, we're going to have them overridden. So your proof wouldn't be overridden on and your faults overridden off so that they kind of stay out of the way all the time. Um, and so it may be just that, that somebody hasn't done that. And maybe it's just a new store and the overrides were never put in place. Or maybe that a database was reloaded into a, a controller. And, and that's a situation where you'd have to go back in and put those overrides in place after that as well. Um, so that's something that you can do remotely and you'll, you'll want to check it under the service screen. Um, once you've figured out if that's what's holding you up and you've gotten that cleared up, then on the status screen, you should also be able to see a line that says press to clear bypass. And you're just going to double click on that and assuming you took care of those underlying problems. But the inputs, then it should go back to normal operation. Uh, um, so, I, I, yeah, like I said, it, it carries over to the condenser as well. Some people use the condenser set up with variable speed, obviously, and, and they may not have proofs and faults. So if you're looking at it there, then same thing. Make sure those overrides are in the right spot if, if you're using them in that fashion. Yep. And if it uh, happens to say that the status is off, then you've got a whole other thing to, to fix there. But it is fixable, and that... Uh, should jump out at you because that compressor should be the first one on and the last one off and it should not say off unless you're really below target but um, usually what I do for the off issue is uh, just go into service and and I basically create a fault uh, turn that fault input on to say I've got a problem and then it'll go into a reset mode and then you can put the fault back where it should be, and then it'll typically take off. Yep. And resettings is typically where somebody doesn't have a reset relay assigned and the controller is trying to reset it and realizes it 
kind of can't because there's no relay assigned and it just sits there. And so that goes back to having some type of point, usually not a physical one, but some type of assignment in for the reset relay on, on that setup. Yep. And this whole thing eventually goes away in the 800A anyway because we're changing the yeah. the uh, options there and the digital compressor option will come into play very soon. Yep. So that not uh, soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that you can uh, you can avoid all this and just go digital, and you get your output, and life is good. Yeah, make it a little simpler, cleaner. Yep. Number two, resetting a controller. So we're gonna kind of ballpark part of this because I mean it's similar for a three fifty five eight hundred eight hundred A. We'll start with the two fifty five. This one's a little trickier, so we've got to reset a controller. So maybe there were some changes to the suction group staging. Um, maybe it's just there's some task that's not doing what it's supposed to do, and standard troubleshoot or uh, yeah, standard troubleshooting technique or tactic is going to be to try to reset the controller, start the algorithms over, and see if that helps or not. Um, Two fifty five. There's no one place you can go and hit a button and say reset the controller. So one thing that you can use as kind of a workaround is if you're in the communication screen, um, it, gets, it could get a little dicey, but if you're in the, the communication screen where you set your host comm type as either RS-485 or Ethernet, you can kind of fake a change there where you bring up the drop down to make sure you know what it's set to before you, you do this if you're going to, but you bring up your drop down between the two choices and you select the same option that's already in there controller should prompt you if you want to reset the controller or not. That's right. Yep. Um, so that's usually if I am talking someone through how to reset a controller and I'm not doing it myself for, for whatever reason, that's going to be how I tell them to do that. Yep. I agree. Uh, and then the other three, the 355, 800, and 800A, it's a, a little cleaner now where you can go into your um, comm screen or your comm tab setup. And right at the top there should be a line that says press to reset this unit. So they, they put it in place, assuming that on that screen specifically, because if you're making Ethernet changes, you've got to reset your controller afterward for them to take effect. If we've got to use it for some other reason um, that I mentioned a, a minute there ago, then you can use it for that as well. It's just double-click that line, and it's going to reset the unit. You'll see please wait kind of at the top right of the screen. Um, I usually get impatient and close the window out and open it back up. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's physically, it's, it is resetting the controller and you should be able to reconnect. If it's the master, you're probably going to have to anyway. Right, um, yeah. But that's your, your option to reset a controller remotely on those three models. Yep, okay. We're all the way down to number one already. Time flies. That's right. So I put number one as, drum roll please, the, the rescan. So a lot of people know about the rescan, but not everyone does. And the rescan is basically just telling the controller to go out and uh, find all these I.O. points, whether they're case controllers, comm modules, whatever they may be, and, uh, and kind of bring them back online. And it is your friend because uh, usually on the I.O. boards, if you change a board, you have to do a rescan. If you uh, change an address, you need to do a rescan, uh, all those things. Uh, we had mentioned it way back in episode two. We talked about rescans at length. And um, yeah, it, it does cure quite a variety of things. Um, but uh, yeah, just this morning we had one 
that uh, a new job had two sensors that were not reading correctly on an I.O. board. And we were talking about, okay, do we rescan? Should we change the board? You know, what should we do? And he did his due diligence on his end. Turns out it just needed a reset on the uh, communication module, which mm -hmm. powers down the boards, and then everything was reading again. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen uh, it not always consistent with when you do and don't in a certain situation. I mean, I've seen times when we're switching a sensor type from control to uh, PT-1000 that sometimes you have to rescan to get it to pick up and start reading right. Sometimes yeah. you don't. Yep. Yep. So that, that changes a little bit too. Right. And uh, yeah, and we had uh, mentioned back in episode two that when you do a rescan, uh, it will shut the compressors off and they will stage back up. Enjoy the silence for about thirty seconds, and just uh, don't don't do, if, if you're doing five in a row, there might be consequences. Uh, right, right, yeah, don't overdo it. Yeah, yeah. And, and keeping the other things, keep in mind, rescan and reset are, are two different things. Resetting a controller is not going to force the controller to go out and look for boards. Yeah, you're still going to have to do a rescan if the module's offline. Right, about the only time it'll do a rescan on its own is when it can't find anything. Right. It's working overtime to try to find some boards because it knows they should be there. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's our list of the top 10 things you can fix remotely and um, some of the tools that make it possible. And we hope they help you out. All right, Chris, let's go move on to your favorite part of uh, the show we call Stump Chris, where I'll throw a question at you and see what you know today. See if, you, see if you're on your A game. All right, so uh, we talked about overriding alarms, mm -hmm. and um, I noticed on the 255, the 800-800A, you can do an alarm override, like on individual circuits and things like that. Yep. Um, if you get, this is going to be uh, a situation where if you get the question right, we'll let you go to the next level and do another question. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> you can stop ahead if you want. All right, so what is the longest alarm override you can enter on a circuit on any of these controllers? Is it uh, four nines, right? Uh, I'll need the units as well. Minutes. Yes, four nines. So that's 9,999 minutes. So that's correct. There was a time where there are some versions of the 800, if I remember correctly, where that was a little lower. Uh, correct. We, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But most of those softwares went by the wayside and yeah. got replaced. So we're in good shape. Yep. So now for bonus question number one, how many hours is that? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Hold on. Let me pull my calculator. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not uh, <laughs> Take a wild guess. Yeah. Let's. How many? I'm sorry. How many hours is how that? How many you hours? Said? Yes. Uh, 120. Uh, <laughs> huh. And you made it through the University of Maryland I, that was with a calculator. Picking a number out of my head. <laughs> okay. So that's 166.6 hours. Yeah. And uh, I'll spare you converting that to the number of days, but it's almost a week. It's 6.94 days. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you get the guys that they've got to get a sensor ordered or whatever else it is. And yeah. one day isn't going yep. to do it. So, yeah, it's not to be abused, obviously. Um, don't use it where you shouldn't use it. But uh, if you know that, yeah, the case is going to be down and empty, then that gives you an option to prevent an alarm from coming through. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, Chris, let's move on to listener mail. So um, 
We, our number one fan in the Czech Republic, Václav, has come with uh, come to us with a question, and I think it's a pretty relevant question, actually a good question. So he wanted to know uh, what is the differences. Um, you know, we talk about the let's say the the latest group of controllers, the 800A, the 820A, the 850A, and the 80A. You know, what are the differences between these controllers? Uh, first of all, I'll take one of them off your plate. Uh, the 800A does not exist. So it's not really a physical controller. It's just we kind of group them together and say, hey, this is the series of, right. of controllers we're talking about. So if I say 800A, it just means the, in general, it's the series of controllers. Uh, you're going to tell us about the 820, the 850, and the 880A, right? Yep. Um, and this is carryover from from the same naming conventions we have with the the series prior, so just the standard 800 series. Um, that but the 820, if we kind of start low and work our way up, uh, 820s the C store convenience store model uh, of the series. So it's not meant to handle a full supermarket. Um, it, it's going to be limited on how many things you can set up under each section. So, and it's still probably more than you're going to need for a, a convenience store. That being said, um, I mean, for example, on the, the rack side, you can set up five different suction groups. So maybe if you're dealing with individual condensing units, some singles that, that maybe that comes into play some, but for the most part, I think five suction groups being able to set that up in there is more than adequate. Um, 29 circuits. Again, I've never been in a gas station where I saw 30 evaporators, but true. maybe they're out there. Yep. Uh, but th that's your limitation there. 10 rooftop units, 10 lighting zones. So, I, I mean, you're, you're not being able to use it to the extreme that you can in the full supermarket versions, but um, it should be more than you, more than enough for, for what you're doing on a convenience store side and, and the algorithms are no different so maybe even if you're in a pinch and all you have is an 820 and you're in a supermarket and if you know that you're within these, these limitations then theoretically you could use it there right all right you get a little bit of everything yep and i think the uh, on the compressor side the limit is three compressors per suction group that's right? correct yeah <laughs> you passed your own test good job all right cool <laughs> one for one <laughs> Uh, 850, if we, we switch gears to, to that model, um, so the 850A is a refrigeration only. So we, we dealt with licenses in the past, going back to the 255 days. The 850 is kind of the, the equivalent of your refrigeration only controller. So you're not going to be able to set up any HVAC tasks in there. It does still give you lighting. So you can get your uh, 30 lighting zones in there if, if you want to stick lighting under that controller. But otherwise, you're going up from 5 to 12 suction groups now that you can set up in the controller and jumping from 29 to uh, 164 circuits. Um, still have some other limitations on digital points, analog points that, that might come into play there, but you're at a much larger number and um, that you can set up in there. And, and it's, again, meant for refrigeration and lighting only, no HVAC. Then you get into the, the 880A models. There's the um, TP78 version and the 485 version. So there's two variations of the 800 or 880A. I'm doing it already. Uh, but this this is kind of your your full package. So you get your refrigeration, you get your HVAC and lighting, and you get the maximum number of units that you can set up in each section. So 30 lighting zones, the 45 rooftop units. You still get your 12 suction groups. 
Um, so kind of with the 880A, you're getting everything. Yep, you're getting the full package. Yep. And it's the only one you can get with TP78. Yep. And what we, one other thing we can't do that maybe guys that are used to the 255 days that you used to be able to, you can't take an 850 and just get a license and upgrade it to an 880. So you kind of have to know going in which one of those two you want. Better off getting what you want up front. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's, uh, I don't know, the price difference probably isn't that that drastic between the 850 and the 880. So yeah. if you're in doubt or, or saying, hey, maybe down the road I am going to add some rooftop units into this, just play it safe, go with the 880A, and you're good to go. Save you some time for sure. Yep. Yeah. All right. That's a uh, relevant question, a valid question, uh, one that comes up from time to time for sure. Yeah. All right. So if you would like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover, a uh, question, comment, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer is Michael, don't call me Mike Beckerman. Our audio engineer extraordinaire is still Raul Garcia. Maria is globetrotting out there somewhere, but we think she'll be back soon. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.